Father, I pray over tonight's word. It's the word of the Lord is so important to me. I know people that's known me for years know my heart for the word. And Lord, I just pray tonight that the word of the Lord will go out of my mouth. Lord, you would speak through me by your Holy Spirit as living seeds of truth. The seed and the sower parable, the living seeds of truth sown in the good fertile soil of hearts and minds. The soil's been made ready through worship. And Lord, the seeds of your word, of your truth, will go into people's hearts and minds and that the Holy Spirit will water those seeds. And Lord, they'll take root and grow in our lives and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains and abides until Jesus comes. Not thirtyfold, not sixtyfold. We're believing you, Lord, for a hundredfold harvest. Lord, let your word go out and let it be like light shining in the darkness. Let your word dispel any deception or lies of the enemy. Lord, let your word go out as a hammer that shatters strongholds. Amen? Shatters and breaks down strongholds. Let your word go out as the sword of the Lord that will cut away what needs to go. And Lord, we ask you that there be such an anointing and such a glory on the word tonight. Lord, that people will be locked in and focused to give you their best ear, their full attention. There won't be any distractions or anything because people are so locked into the Word. Lord, help us to get captivated right now by the Spirit of God and locked into what the Holy Spirit is speaking. In Revelation, we read over and over what the Spirit is speaking to the church. Lord, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking to the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, this is part two. I cannot go back and deal with part one where I laid a foundation. So if you haven't heard that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Because I did a foundation. And I'm dealing with the healing series. Healing is for today and God is healing many people. And we need the move of the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, the church has got to get back to Book of Acts Christianity. And not sell short. We've got to get back. And as we're doing a church plant here, <clears throat> I want the foundation to be laid. Where it's, it's literally Book of Acts Christianity. It's, it's seeing God come in power and change lives. You know, the Bible says, Unless the Lord build the house, them that labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord keep the house, the watchers watch in vain. So it's got to be the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, in the early church, Peter and these guys were on the earth. They didn't depend on their charismatic personality. They didn't depend on funds. They didn't depend on fancy buildings. What did they depend on to get the job done? They depended on the power of the Holy Spirit to get the job done. And that's all they depended on. And I dealt with this a lot last week. And just to give a couple scriptures from last week. Galatians 5.19 talks about the, the sins of the flesh. And one of those is witchcraft. It talks about witchcraft being a sin of the flesh. <laughs> and then also in Galatians it talks about who has bewitched you. And the word there, bewitched, has to do with witchcraft. It has to do with like putting somebody's mind under control 
like a spell casting on somebody's mind where they're confused. If you remember, the Galatian church was trying to go back under the law of Moses. And they had people that were trying to deceive them. And the apostle Paul was angry with them and said, Who has bewitched you? Who's messing with your mind? Who has put something on your mind that, that is confusing you and that's leading you away from the simplicity of the gospel? And he was concerned for them. And I talked about the definition of witchcraft. I talked about how there's witchcraft of the flesh. And then there's the dark arts. And witchcraft of the flesh, as you know from last week, has to do with control. has to do with manipulation, intimidation, and control. And I've preached on that before. But And then witchcraft of the spirit, the dark arts, has to do with things like spell casting and all that. Okay, And we dealt with that last week. But there's the power of God and then there's the power of the devil. Witchcraft is basically the power of the devil. It's his power that's flowing throughout his kingdom and it has no place in the house of God. So then my question is, why are churches letting it in? It has no business in the house of God. Then why are people letting it in? Now we know the devil is roaming around like a roaring lion looking you know, for who he can devour. We know he's looking for a place in. The Bible says don't give him a foothold. We know that. But why are people giving him a foothold then? He was defeated 2,000 years ago. Jesus paid for it. And the church, if the church is the way it's supposed to be, then the devil's not going to have a foothold into a church. I can't recap because i got a lot i got to cover tonight. But Alright, so picking up where I left off last week. Order and unity is what we need. So just kind of picking up, literally, right where I left off last week is this. The entertainment that I see in church, it grieves me. Because I couldn't care less. I mean, we do our best to, you know, have decent music. But I, honestly, it really doesn't matter to me that much if somebody's going to hit a wrong note. Who really cares? It's all about worshiping the king. You know, and I, I'm tired of seeing people get up and entertain, to be honest with you. It's a turnoff. It, that, that's for other places. That's for talent shows. That's fine. You want to do your little talent show? You know? No problem. But the church isn't the talent show. The church should be worship. And, and you see too many times people are entertaining and they're putting on a show. Preachers do it. Real, they, they put on a show. The musicians are doing it. The singers are doing it. Too many people are putting on a show. We're not here to put on a show. We're here to lead people and worship to Him. And we're talking about witchcraft creeping into the church. And let me tell you, whenever you're depending on anything other than the Holy Spirit to get the job done, you're starting to move into that realm of witchcraft. Are you hearing me? You cannot depend on anything else other than the Holy Spirit to get the job done. If you're depending on your human intellect... If you're depending on your flesh, if you're depending on your musical abilities, if somehow you're depending on your athletic abilities, I know some people are great athletes, but whatever you're depending on to get the kingdom advanced, if it's not the Holy Spirit, there's something desperately wrong there. I mean, God can use that, but it's got to be a dependence on the Holy Spirit. Is this making sense? And too many people are substituting. They don't have an anointing. And so they're substituting other things to get the job done. Instead of getting on their face and seeking God for an anointing. Leonard Ravenhill, before he died, they interviewed him and he said that this particular denomination, 
He said that, that most of the churches in that denomination had lost the presence of God. And he said, my advice to them is, is that the next Sunday morning they call off church across the whole nation. And they call a day of prayer and fasting and they humble themselves and get on their face and ask forgiveness for doing things without the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to come back to the church and let His presence come in again. That's a powerful word. If Leonard was in charge, I believe he would have done that. People that knew Leonard either either loved him with all their heart or hated him with a passion. He just had that effect on people because he was so he was so real. You know, he's like, this is what the Bible says, we've got to get back to it. And then the other thing that concerns me is those that think that they're God's little sheriffs. They're on their little white horse. They've got their little badge. Their little gun of criticism. Their little six shooter. And they go from town to town. They're God's little watchdogs. They're so much smarter than everybody else. And they sit back and criticize and fault find and judge. And I'm going to tell you, you talk about witchcraft in the church, buddy, that right there is 100% that. And these people oppose the move of God and they turn many people away from the move of God. And you've got to be careful with that because there's also people in history. G. Campbell Morgan, <coughs> excuse me, bless his heart, he was powerfully touched in the Welsh Revival. But you got to understand in the, the Welsh Revival, the Spirit of God came down and it was so powerful when the Holy Spirit came into Wales that people were saved right and left. I mean, people literally would be walking down the road and they would fall down. They were ranked sinners and they were under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And God would bring them into the kingdom. That's how strong the Holy Spirit moved in Wales. It was awesome. And they saw so many people get saved. They saw the presence of God was incredible. But when the, when the Holy Spirit began to move and, and get away from Wales a little bit and move more toward Azusa Street, God started adding to what He was doing at Azusa. And now people were being baptized in the Holy Spirit like on the day of Pentecost. They were speaking in tongues. And the power of the Holy Spirit was so strong that people were being delivered to demons. People were being healed. And G. Campbell Morgan, who was so mightily touched at Wells, turned around and looked at Azusa Street and said it was the last vomit of Satan. And he persecuted Azusa Street. It's interesting how people that are touched in one move of God, they'll look at another move of God, and because it's different than this one, they'll say it's not of God. But in fact, it is of God. And we all know Azusa Street's of God now, because every Pentecostal movement goes back to Azusa But those that think they're God's little sheriffs, clothed with pride, and the, the spirit that they're of is not the Holy Spirit. You know what else concerns me is the lust and the seduction that has crept into the church. You know, the Bible says, be holy from home. And, you know, I've had to deal with this stuff before. And I'm going to tell you, God wants us to be holy and women to dress modestly. He wants us to be separate. I'm going to tell you, if people look at, a, at somebody that says they're a Christian and there's no difference between them and the world, they're not a Christian. You know, we should be radically different. Remember the Apostle Paul said in, in uh, I believe it's St. Corinthians 13, but he said this, he said, examine yourselves to make sure you're in the faith. There's nothing wrong with somebody examining themselves and making sure that they're in the faith. 
there's certain movements and certain uh, denominations and things that, that they're trying to convince people that they're saved. Listen, we need to convince people to make sure they're saved. You need to be telling people, no, no, the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit. You're a child of God. You make sure that you're right. Okay? There shouldn't be any doubt. Somebody doesn't have to tell me you're a Christian. I know that I'm saved. Because the Spirit of God dwells in me and tells me. I don't need somebody telling me that. And if there's sin in people's lives, then they need to examine themselves. And let me tell you this too. I know that you guys, I'm going to give you an example. But those of you that aren't married, let me just use this example. Let's say that this young man met a young lady and they, they really fell in love and it was God. And they just loved each other. But this young man still had real close relationships maybe with some other young ladies that he dated at one time. And he's got some other things in his life. And, and because of these other relationships, this girl that he's in love with says, You know what? If you don't deal with all of this, we're not getting married. And so he, he says to himself, you know what, I love her so much that I'm willing to cut out anything else I need to so that we can make this work. Then why can't people love Jesus enough to say, Lord, whatever I need to cut out of my life, whatever's trying to hinder me, I don't care if it's some stupid TV show, I don't care if it's a movie. Listen, we got to be holy, and I, I'm concerned because there's people that, that are sitting through things that, that the Lord, would it grieves the Holy Spirit. You got this horrible language. You, you got the people having sex on the screen, and now you got blatant homosexuality on the screen. And um, you've got witchcraft and, and, and just gory, you know. Can you imagine Jesus sitting there with somebody and they're watching this slasher movie ripping people to pieces? Come on, man. And listen, that stuff, it, it grieves the Holy Spirit, but it more, more than that, it pollutes the person to where it hinders their growth. So what would we should be saying, Jesus, just whatever is in my life that's got to go, cut it out of me. Get it out of me. I love you so much. I'm willing to get rid of anything else that's holding me back. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to do anything that's going to hinder my relationship with you. And I'm concerned about the worldliness. When I was younger growing up in the church world, I mean... Preaching, preaching the truth. I guess we just happen to have a pastor that just told it like it was. But, but man, I don't understand now all the all the Christians that are, you know, going out and getting tattoos and piercings. I just don't understand. I don't understand all the profanity coming from people that call themselves Christians. Doesn't the Bible say, "Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth"? I don't understand all the drinking and the drunkenness. That's a bunch of garbage. The Bible says in first, I believe, First Corinthians six nine ten, right in there, it says drunkards will not inherit the kingdom. I don't understand all the fighting that's going on. Aren't we supposed to love each other and get along? I don't understand all the ungodly entertainment, as I mentioned, in the immodest dress. And I'll tell you something else I don't understand is cowardly preachers that won't tell it like it is. Because bottom line is, a lot of them bless their heart, and I'm a preacher, so I can say it. They may not be in heaven one day. We're going to give an account. And people that are too wimpy to stand up for Jesus and tell it like it is. Now doesn't James say those that are teachers will be judged more severely? That's in my Bible. Look, here's how, here's how I figure it. You know, there's going to be people that love me. There's going to be people that hate me. I really don't care. One day I'm going to die. And I'm going to stand before Jesus. It's going to be me and him. And he's going to look at my life. And you're not going to be there. I live like that. I love everybody, but I live like that. Because in the end, when it's all said and done, all that's going to matter is what He says about my life. 
You're always going to have critics. That's just life. All right, so let's deal with this. This is where I left off last week, but I'm going to pick it up now with the witchcraft in the church. I'm concerned about some things. But here's what the devil's after. The Bible says a kingdom divided cannot stand. And I believe that this ministry has a calling on it to see a move of God. I believe that we're going to see a harvest of souls. I'm just telling you. I mean a, a supernatural harvest. I believe that, that this God's going to grow this ministry and it's going to be a revival ministry. And it's easier to, to have a baby than it is to raise the dead. So God led me to plant a church as opposed to trying to take a dead one and try to... What's the words I'm looking for? Trying to beat life and lead the horse to water they don't want to drink? Forget all that, man. I'd... So, it's you know, we planted a church where you can just go ahead and just have a revival baby. Amen. Just from the beginning. All right. A book of Acts Christianity. But what Satan wants to do, he says, a kingdom divided can't stand. Satan's main goal is to divide and conquer. So the two things I want to emphasize to you the most out of this this little... I'm doing the healing series, but I kind of dropped this in. Witchcraft in the Church 1 and 2. I want to emphasize to you the importance of having things in proper order and having unity. And I'm going to show you that. It boils down to individual families. The family is the health and life of the body. If you have a bunch of families that have all kinds of problems at home, the church will probably not be really healthy. You see what I'm saying? The church is there to help people have healthy homes in their life. But a family that has like a spirit of witchcraft about it, they will have disorder in their home. They'll be dysfunctional. They'll be unstable. There'll be a lot of confusion. A lot of times there'll be gender confusion. There'll be health battles, sexual issues like lust, and spiritual coldness. You remember last week I talked about rebellion is as witchcraft. So you only truly know that you're a rebel when you're told no about something you want to do. Isn't that the truth? Because if you're always asking, can I do this? And people are saying, yes, yes. And they're just kind of going along. Then people are just going along. But whenever you want to do something and an authority figure says, no, we're not going to do that. That's when you and everybody's going to know if you got a rebellion issue right there. <laughs> we are born with sinful tendencies, aren't we all? We're born with tendencies toward pride. But God, by His Spirit, will help humble us. And God knows how to humble the most proud person. We're born with tendencies toward fear. Remember Adam and Eve, they hid from God, they were afraid. We're born with tendencies to fear. But then the love of God breaks down that fear and helps us to overcome that. We're born with tendencies to rebel. But if we have good parents that will administer some good corporal punishment and love, they will break that rebellious streak while we're still little. People are born with tendencies to be lustful. But the power of the Holy Spirit helps us to die to the flesh. 
People are born with tendencies to make idols. But God will help change us, won't He? And we're all born with tendencies to be selfish. You never see a three-year-old that's wanting to share their toys. You have to teach them. Don't be selfish. But what's sad and concerning is, and this is where witchcraft gets into the church right here, is when you have 40, 50-year-old crybabies. Y'all hearing me? Because I've seen several. That still are rebellious. They still want their selfish way. They're full of pride. And they, you know they, they cause all these problems in church. It's time for us to grow up and learn how to die to the flesh. It's not about us. It's not about what we're going to get out of it. It's about Him. It's not about getting our way all the time. It's about seeking the Lord. But in the home, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Ephesians 5.22 through the 6th chapter, and then 1 Peter 3. It talks about order in the home. You can take it home and read it, but... You know, the book of Ephesians is an interesting book to me. Because to me, the Ephesian church is so prophetic, if you will, about what I believe River of Life is called to be. When Paul went to Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, it was his second time to go. But he had the greatest move of God in his whole ministry. The Holy Spirit fell. Now this was his second time to go. The first time he went, not much happened. But this time it was like the timing of God was there. And the Spirit of God fell. And the Bible says that all of Asia heard the gospel preached. That all the witches and people got saved. And they brought all their their scrolls and their different um, paraphernalia that they had with the occult. And they brought it there and they burned it. It was this huge bonfire. There were such incredible healings and miracles. That even handkerchiefs and aprons and cloths that were brought to Paul. And touched him. They would send those back. And they would, the reason why they probably did that was it was hard to move people that were sick like that back then. You know, this, was, this would have been traveling by horseback. But anyway, Paul sent back all these handkerchiefs back with people. And it says the sick people that the handkerchiefs went back and touched got completely miraculously healed. And that there were even demon-possessed people that the handkerchiefs would touch them and demons would come out. And so this was a major move of God in Paul's ministry. And Paul established a church there. And later on, he writes them a letter. You know, we read it, the book of Ephesians. This is Paul's letter to the church that he planted in Ephesus when he was there and had that great revival. So this was a church that was born in the fires of revival. And it's interesting that Paul puts such an emphasis on the fact that their homes need to be in order. Did you hear what I'm saying? He put a major emphasis telling them, now make sure, guys. Because you know why? Because Paul also experienced tremendous spiritual warfare. Where you've got a great move of God, you're also going to have some spiritual warfare because the devil's not going to sit back and let you win all these souls and see uh, the things Jesus saw in his ministry, healings and miracles, demons coming out of people, the power of God exploding. Do you really think the devil's going to sit back and go, well, you know, let's just let that go on? Of course not. He's going to try to gather his forces and come in. And that's why Paul had to also deal with a riot that broke out. 
And in the book of Ephesians, that's the one book that Paul wrote where he dealt the most with spiritual warfare. Because he learned a lot while he was in Ephesus, I believe, about spiritual warfare because of what he was going through. This is the book where Paul taught us about the armor of God. This is the book where Paul taught us about the difference between principalities and powers, world ruling spirits, and he talked about demonic spirits in people. You see it. It's there. Okay? This is the book that he dealt with this. Why? Because he saw a great move of God there. And he knew that that great move of God would attract some spiritual warfare. And he wanted them to be ready for it. And you know what's interesting? When you look at the book of Revelation, the seven churches that were written to are also a prophetic timeline. The last church written to was the Laodicean church, which prophetically speaks of the last day church that has a tendency to think that we're so wealthy and rich and in need of nothing and we've grown lukewarm. But it's also interesting that the very first church was the early church and it it was symbolic of the writings to the church of Ephesus. And they said, the Lord said to Ephesus, don't lose your first love, go back to your first love. This was a church in the fires of revival and the Lord was basically trying to tell them, don't lose that. Keep the fire burning. But see, the early church was born in the fire. Think about it. I mean, on the day of Pentecost, these guys probably had no idea what was really coming. Jesus told them, I'm going to go. It's better I go away. That probably freaked them out right there. And he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he said, when he comes, he's going to teach you um, all things that you need to know. He'll lead you into truth. He'll show you things to come and all of that. And they knew he was the comforter. He was the counselor. He's coming. But they probably had no idea what was really about to happen. But they go into Jerusalem and they're probably talking amongst themselves saying, you know, Jesus told us to go back here. Passover already happened. Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to us. Now he's telling us to go back into Jerusalem and to wait there and pray until he sends the promise of the Spirit. So they said, we don't really know what's going to happen, but we're just going to go back and pray. Out of the 500 people that Jesus appeared to, only 120 were there. The 120 are there, they're praying, they're going after God. When the day of Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit breaks in that place like a violent wind. Tongues of fire. They're clothed with power. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in tongues. But you know, Peter had always been somebody that was kind of a little wishy-washy and everything. But after the Spirit of God came upon him, man, he went out there, he became a pillar in the church. And he, got, he came out there and spoke the Word of God and 3,000 people got saved right then. Isn't that something? Healings and miracles begin to break out. And Jesus told them in Acts 1.8, He said this, Wait in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power from on high. Then you'll be my witness. In Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. In Luke 24.49, Jesus told them, He said, that there's going to be a clothing of power, an endowment of power that comes upon you. We need that today. What people need is they need to be able to come to church and there be the power there for them to receive from God. Because it's not going to come through psychology and it's not going to come 
through um, the different entertainment that people do and, and all the stuff that we've got going on and the programs, that's not going to get the job done. Now I'm going to tell you something else. When you're dealing with seeing a move of God and a harvest of souls, you will deal with some level of spiritual warfare. And I'm going to tell you right now that, that the psychology and all the programs and all that stuff is not going to amount to anything when you're coming up against the principalities and powers of a region that do not want to move a God in their region. You better have a fresh anointing on your life. You better be clothed with power. You better have the armor of God on. And you better be unified. Because if Satan can tear up a church and get them all in division and out of order, that church is neutralized and they're ineffective. I'm going to tell you something that scares the devil. I believe with all my heart, and I'm going to deal with this as we go, that there can be a small group of people, whether it's here or somewhere else, whatever, there can be a smaller group of people that as long as they are unified and in order and they're going after God, God can do incredible things. Incredible things. And the devil's afraid of that. When you look at the life of Gideon, Gideon only had 300 men going up against hundreds of thousands. It was just a small number, but they were unified. And it wasn't the 300 men that won the battle per se. It was actually God did it. That was the whole point. What I'm trying to say is, if if God can just get a group of people, even if they're small in number, that will unify and will go after Him with all their heart, then I'm telling you, He can send a great move of God. You know, people talk about Azusa and all that, but you got to understand it was William Seymour and about a dozen African-American people that were just praying for a move of God. About 12 to 15 people was all on Bonnie Bray Street crying out for a move of God. And when God came, the entire world was affected. You understand that? It went to the whole world. Back in a time when traveling was not like it is today. So it was an incredible, miraculous move of God. I hope people tonight that you have eyes to see and ears to hear what I'm saying. And let me say it more bluntly. I believe that we're going to see a move of God. There's going to be some spiritual warfare. And I'm warning you, we've got to keep unity in order. Let me just put it out there real blunt. Alright, so order in the home. Ephesians 5.22 through chapter 6 and then 1 Peter 3. The husband is the head of the home. As Christ is the head of the church. Y'all please give me your best ear. The husband is the head of the home as Christ is head of the church. It is rebellious if a husband does not want to lead his family. It's rebellious. It's basically saying, I know that I'm supposed to be the head of the home, I'm supposed to be the leader, but I'm just not going to do my job. I'm going to leave it for the pastor to do. I'm going to leave it for the wife to do. I'll leave it for somebody else to do. That's rebellion against God. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility in my home. And the Bible says children must be obedient to their parents. Young people that are still at home, if you love Jesus, then honor your parents and obey them. But parents need to discipline their kids. Did you know when it talks about children being obedient, did you know the Greek word is hupakua, however you say that, it's there on the notes, but it means obedience that is forced. That's what it means. Obedience that is enforced. In other words, the parent says, you're going to do this. And they said no. And they said, oh, you're going to do it. And if you don't, then you're going to be grounded or you're going to be spanked or whatever. But you, you will do it at the end of the day. And pretty soon what happens is that the child, that rebellious streak is broken in them. And then pretty soon you hear, yes, sir. 
<laughs> no, sir. I will do what you say. And the parents put that home in order. But it's obedience that is forced. That's what it means. And it's the job of good parents to deal with that. You know what a bad parent is? They let their kids do whatever and don't care. That's a bad parent. A good parent is staying on top of things. Who are you hanging out with? What are you doing? Because they love their kid. Amen? If you love your kid, then you're going to keep an eye on them. All right, and wives, the Bible says, are to be submissive in everything as unto the Lord. In everything. Not in some things. It says in every single thing to submit to the husband as unto the Lord. The same way you would the Lord. I don't think people really get how serious this is. And the Greek word there, upatasso, okay, it means willing submission. Meaning that the husband should not have to treat a wife like a child because the wife willingly submits. Did y'all get that? He doesn't have to to yell and be like, no, we're going to do it. He shouldn't have to do that because the wife says, I love Jesus so much that I'm just going to submit under your authority and let you have the final say. And we're not going to have to keep fighting about it and have this power control of who's got the final decision. Is this good? So if you want to give place to the devil, if you want the devil's kingdom to be inside your home, then husbands, don't lead your family in the ways of God. Wives, rebel against your husband. Get everything out of order. Have a lot of fighting and strife going on. And that's a good way to get the devil right inside your home. But if your home is in order and there's unity, the enemy can't get in. And it's the same way inside the church. If things are in order, like I talked about last week, one of the definitions of witchcraft is illegitimate authority. Do not let people in positions of authority that God is not putting them there. Don't let their charismatic personality get them in there. Don't let their good looks get them in positions of authority. Don't, get, don't let their popularity get them in positions of authority. Let the Holy Spirit dictate and raise them up. That's so important. Because if people worm their way into positions of authority that are not supposed to be there, they don't have the grace. They don't have the anointing to do it. And because they don't have the grace and the anointing on them to do it, they don't have the wisdom from the Lord, it's not the Lord that put them there, man did, then they're going to end up resorting to manipulation and control or intimidation because they don't have the grace of God on them to do it. And so they have to turn to like witchcraft to get the job done. Of the flesh, anyway. Does this make sense? Manipulation. Manipulation has to do with seduction. It has to do with guilt trips. Crying episodes to get everybody to feel sorry for them. Witchcraft prayers that are of the flesh. Don't pray your will. Pray the Lord's will. Don't try to enforce your will on people. That's witchcraft. It can be flattery. It can be gifts. But different ways that people will try to manipulate another person. Intimidation can be blackmail, threats, hateful stares, public humiliation. But different ways to try to intimidate somebody and bring them under your control. Domination can be oppressive leaders that dominate their parishioners. It's oppressive. 
This is all witchcraft in the Bible, witchcraft of the flesh. If you didn't hear last week, you need to go back and hear it. I don't have time to re-explain it all. But that's of the flesh. But when things are in order the way they're supposed to be, and there's unity, the enemy cannot get in so easily. Now when somebody is under an attack of witchcraft, and if you're going to do something for God, I mean significant, you've got to be ready for some spiritual battles. Put on your armor. okay? Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Get ready. Get a fresh anointing on your life. But when somebody's under attack of a spirit of witchcraft, here's some things that you can look for. There can be really stubborn health issues. There can be mental confusion. That's very common. Mental confusion. Literally dizziness without explanation. Stubborn battles with lust. Irrational fears. You're sitting there going, why am I afraid of... I mean, what is the deal? It's like this irrational fear for no reason. Panic attacks. Unnecessary anger. We feel angry and irritable for no reason. Relationship strife. Why are we fighting? This isn't that big a deal. What's going on? Or financial constriction. We feel like something is hindering the flow of finances and eating it up. Things just keep happening to eat up finances. Let me give you a couple things you need to know. The preliminary attack. Anytime the enemy goes to war, even in the natural, when people go to war, many times they will send a preliminary attack up front. There will be something that comes in. I remember back whenever we went to war in the Middle East, in Iraq, they had the initial shock and awe. Remember that? And they sent some planes overhead, dropped bombs in strategic places, and it was just kind of to bring a, a broken submissionist submission to the area. And then they sent in warfare after that. But that was the initial attack. So here's some ways that Satan's kingdom will attack you first to break you down and weaken you so that other attacks in the after that will be successful. Because the enemy knows that if somebody's on fire for God and they're living holy, if he sends some seductive woman right now, they're just going to walk away from that. If he waves something else in front of their life, they're just going to walk away from it. He knows he's got to beat them down first and get them to a place of being weak spiritually so that then his attacks later will work. The first attack will usually... Here's your body, soul, and spirit. You ready? The first attack will usually be a difficulty in prayer. Please hear me. A difficulty praying. You want to have a prayer life, but you feel like something's resisting you. How do you defeat that? You pray anyway. Is it hard? Yes. But if you don't pray, it'll be a lot worse. You don't give in to it. You pray anyway. You keep your inner man strong. You keep your spirit man strong. I hope you all are hearing me. That's the first attack is to try to get you out of prayer. Because once you get out of prayer, the enemy knows it's downhill from there. The second attack, and you have to trust the Lord about this one to help you, but is difficulty sleeping. And this is meant to beat you down physically where you're tired all the time. It's hard to pray. 
It's hard to go to church. It's hard to worship. It's hard to do much when you're physically exhausted. If you're going through that, you need to get prayer and let the Lord deliver you from that. And the next one is an attack against your soul. So you see an attack against your spirit. You see an attack against your physical body. And now you see an attack against your soul. (coughs) And the attack against your soul is depression. And this will pave the way for a lot worse things down the road if you give in to it. If you give in to not praying, it will beat you down spiritually where you're vulnerable. If you give yourself into depression, it's a choice to do so. If you give yourself into it, it's going to beat you down to a place psychologically and emotionally where you're very vulnerable to a lot of other things. Y'all hear? These are preliminary attacks. Let me show you how deadly it is. Elijah stood up on Mount Carmel. And God sent... Can you imagine if you were standing up in front of thousands and thousands of people? And you had a sacrifice there, an altar and a sacrifice. And and you prayed and God sent down this huge fire from heaven in front of everybody. I mean, Elijah, I would say Elijah had a good day that day. His prayer life saw some success and some fruit that day. I think that he was encouraged that day. As a matter of fact, the Spirit of God came upon Elijah. This is, this is back in the Old Testament times. But he drew his sword and, and slaughtered a lot of prophets of Baal and Asherah that day. These are grown men. If I remember right, there were several hundred grown men that he killed himself. Now, the spirit of witchcraft was on Jezebel. You remember Queen Jezebel in the Bible? That woman the Bible called her a witch. Anyway, and she sends a threat to Elijah. A little woman. Now, keep in mind that he just killed hundreds of grown men. A little woman sends a threat. She didn't even have the guts to go to him herself. She sends a little servant out there and tells Elijah, may the gods deal with me be even more so severely. If by tomorrow this time I don't cut your head off or whatever she said. Now Elijah should have just simply said, you know, tell her, go back and tell her I'm going to be on this rock this time tomorrow. And I would love to see her tomorrow. And please have her come here tomorrow. Because I will cut her head off just like I did the prophets of Baal tomorrow about this time. That's what he should have said. And God would have gave him the victory. But instead, some spirit of witchcraft was there that intimidated him. It was supernatural. How is such a man of God? A man of prayer, a man of power, but he was so intimidated and afraid of a woman. Think about it. This is a spirit of witchcraft. He goes off into the desert by himself into a depression under a tree. And prayed to die. Now this is why it's so deadly. Spiritually speaking, he was not praying, he was sleeping. In the Bible, sleeping has to do with prayerlessness. Symbolically, remember that. He wasn't praying, he was sleeping. Number one, big mistake. Number two, he was depressed. He should have been remembering... And he should have been forcing his mind to remember, I praise you, Lord. It was just the other day that we saw fire come down from heaven. I thank you, Lord, that you sent revival to your people. I thank you that the tide is turning in Israel. The prophets of Baal have been cut down. 
This is a day of great victory. He should have been encouraging himself in the victories of the Lord. But instead, he was depressed and he was focused on what the devil was saying instead of what God was doing. That's the key to depression right there. People focus on what the devil is saying instead of what God's doing. And so, here's what's deadly. God loved Elijah so much that he sent an angel to Elijah. Now, how many knows that would be a pretty cool day okay, if an angel came to you? And not only that, the angel cooked him some food. <laughs> True story. First, First Kings chapter 19 made him some food. And listen, he ate that food and he went on the strength of that supernatural food for 40 days through a desert. You know that had to be some good food. And, and he, he was supernaturally strengthened by it. God sent him an angel, gave that man some supernatural heaven food, whatever that was, kept him for 40 days. And God was saying to Elijah, snap out of it, man. Who has bewitched you? What is on your mind right now? What is it that you're allowing to make you go to sleep? What is it you're allowing to make you depressed? Shake it off, man. But Elijah kept going down, 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 down. That's what it said. He finds himself back back at Mount Horeb, I believe, was the right mountain if I got it right. But he was nonetheless, he was on this mountain. And he was in a cave. He was depressed. And he kept singing the same old depressed song. Every time God spoke to him, Elijah, he would say, They've killed all the prophets, Lord. I'm the only one left. They want to kill me too. And he was just depressed. And God loved Elijah so much that he sent the wind to break the rocks. Remember in the earthquake and the fire and all of that, it was these supernatural manifestations of God. And Elijah never changed his tune. He never snapped out of the depression. You don't read about him praying like he used to. You don't read about him praising God and thanking God for victory and encouraging himself in the Lord. No. You read about him sitting around having a pity party. They want to kill me. This witchy woman doesn't like me. And I, I'm out here in the, you know, the cave by myself. And I just hear God going, come on, Elijah, snap out of it. But you know what he never did? And so God, basically, I'm paraphrasing, says to Elijah, I love you, Elijah, but I can't use you anymore. And I want you to go back the way you came and I want you to anoint Elisha the prophet to succeed you. I'm taking you home. That's how the story ended. Elijah goes back, throws his mantle over Elisha. Elijah becomes the man of the hour. And we know the story. Elijah was taken up in a fiery chariot. God loved Elijah. He sent him a fiery chariot. I mean, that would be a cool day. Amen? That would be a neat thing to happen for any of us. God sends him a fiery chariot. God loved Elijah, but God could not use Elijah because Elijah had allowed himself to go to sleep instead of praying and allowed himself to sit around having pity parties and being depressed instead of praising and thanking God for the victory. And I'm telling you, these are attacks of the enemy. And if you give in to these attacks, it can cause things to go from bad to worse. We've got to learn as Christians how to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's part of just spiritual maturity. 
and break off the old lies of the enemy, we've got to learn to quit listening to the voice of some Jezebel spirit or some voice, some lying voice of the devil and start focusing on what is God saying? What does his word say? And encourage David said whenever the Amalekites came in and took all of his people and his men were going to stone him, David was a man of prayer and a man of worship and a man of war. He understood. And what did David do? He didn't go and bawl and cry and go into a cave like Elijah and sing some depressed song in a minor key because he knew how to play those things. He didn't do that. What he did was he put on his ephod and it says he encouraged himself in the Lord. And in that place of encouraging himself in the Lord, he was worshiping, he was praying, he was drawing into God. God spoke to him and said, go after the Amalekites, you'll recover everything. And if Elijah had just done that, he would have had Jezebel's head as a trophy. And it wouldn't have been Elisha, it would have been Elijah that saw the great things. You remember the story? Elisha was the one that ended up anointing Jehu. And Jehu, remember, threw, had to thrown out the window. I'm just saying Elijah could have been the one that saw the final victory. But God had to pull him out and let somebody else do it. I'm trying to help everybody here because when you go through spiritual warfare, you've got to learn how to handle spiritual warfare well. And some of the ways the enemy is going to attack people is through discouragement and depression. It's supernatural. And it's and listen to me, I say this in love, it's a choice. I've been there, I, just like every other Christian, through my Christian walk, when I was younger in the Lord, I dealt with some discouragement, depression, just like everybody else. But you've got to learn how to get over that. You've got to learn how to walk in victory over these things. If you don't, the devil's going to eat your lunch. He's going to slap you around. Don't let him do it. All right, let me let me shift gears a little bit. In every great move of God, okay, I'm not going to stay on this long, but in all these great moves of God through history, Brother Zach's been going through God's generals. We've been looking at a lot of historic revivals. It's good to study these things. I'm going to tell you some of the things that has come against revival has been that Satan has sent, sometimes sent his servants in there. I'm talking about witches and people like that. The Azusa Street Revival, those, those weirdos came, you know. And William Seymour had to discern them and pick them out. And I know Rodney Howard Brown, he's going after God with all of his heart. You know, God started sending major revival back in the 90s. And some witches start creeping in the meetings, start praying for people. And Rodney gets up and says, that's it. Nobody's praying for anybody but me. And he broke that right there and dealt with that. During Brownsville, the witches came all the time from New Orleans. Sit on the back, rattle their little stupid rattles and say their chants and everything like that. And they had to deal with that. They had to have an altar team in place that they knew. They had to know that these are men and women of God. We know them personally. And they had to filter and they had to be careful who got in positions of authority. And it grieves me because some of you have read the book by John Paul Jackson called Unmasking the Jezebel Spirit. And if you have read that book, those that are watching this or listening to this that have not read that book, I encourage you to buy it and read it. But those that have read that book know what I'm talking about. There was times where churches allowed people in positions of authority they never should have. And it cost them dearly. 
Most of the time, the church was desperate. They needed somebody. And it was like the devil said, well, here you go. And so they just let this person into a position of authority. And next thing you know, the church is going through major turmoil, major spiritual warfare, major problems, major division. And so don't think for a minute that the enemy is not going to target people in that way and target people through the dark arts. So let me break this down and move beyond it. But witchcraft, there's three branches to the occult. Witchcraft is the power branch. This is where people send things against you in the spirit realm. And send things against churches. This is not hard. Once you discern it, break it, destroy it, we have authority over these things. Don't put up with it. But see, you know what? I remember I read this book where this woman that that used to be a Satanist talked about how she would infiltrate churches. Did you know they were taught the number one goal was to get prayer out of the church? A praying church is a powerful church. That's why we have Tuesday night prayer. That's why we have prayer before church. That's why a lot of our church services have prayer mixed into it. I believe in prayer. I've taught series on prayer. But a praying church will discern the attacks of the enemy and will simply just break it and destroy it. We have authority over it. Okay? But there are those things that go on, so be aware of it. The enemy will try to send things like that. The divination branch is the information branch. This is the branch with like psychics and, and those that do seances and they're seeking information from the dark side. And one of the ways that the enemy will try to slither into a church is a python spirit, which is divination. And it's people that think that they're hearing from God, but they're actually not. It's another spirit they're communicating with, something else. And a pastor needs to discern that and not allow them in positions of authority. The last thing you want is somebody like that on the prayer team. Praying for people. Oh, they always got a word for them, you know. Yeah. And then the third branch is the material branch. This has to do with things that people have in their possession that's supposed to give them power or luck or um, money or wealth or whatever it is that they're after. Those are the three branches of the occult. But when the enemy is coming against somebody or coming against the church or the spirit of witchcraft, here's how the enemy wants it to happen. He wants it to be like a downward spiral. And let me show you the progression right here. Number one, discouragement. If you don't deal with discouragement, shake it off, it can lead to confusion. Picture it like this. You're on a sailboat in the ocean and the fog comes in. That's discouragement. If you don't deal with things and look at your compass, it can lead to major confusion. Where are we going? Are we going north or south? What's going on? It leads to confusion. You've got to shake off the discouragement and look at the compass. What's the compass? The Word of God. Get down into the Word of God. But anyway, discouragement leads to confusion. If you don't deal with confusion, it'll lead to depression. If you don't deal with depression, it will lead to a loss of vision. How many people out there have lost their vision? It's like, what are you called to do? I mean, what is your church called to do? Just sit around and have a country club week after week, just a bunch of believers coming together and you just hang out and that's it? I mean, isn't there lost people out there? Where's the vision for your city? What happened? Because if you talk to them, they used to have a vision. They used to have a heart for the lost. They used to want to see things happen in their community. And now they've lost their vision. It started somewhere with some kind of discouragement and confusion. 
If you don't deal with the loss of vision, it will lead to major disorientation. And then withdrawal. Withdrawal is where people, they do like Elijah, and they want to go live by themselves in a cave. That's not a good sign. We need the body of Christ around us. If you ever feel like isolating yourself, I promise you that is not God. That's the devil. I promise you that. Whenever people get alone by themselves, they're withdrawn. They don't have any more of the body of Christ around them to encourage them. Then it leads to despair and ultimately defeat. And they find themselves in a very defeated position, but they let it happen to themselves. The whole time as a Christian, they had authority over this stuff and they could have dealt with it. They could have overcome it. They could have broke its power. They could have came above it, but instead they allowed a downward spiral. Listen, the enemy does not have true authority over us. He only has the authority that we let him have. So let me give you a couple stories and then I'm going to close this thing out. But This is why it's so important. I'm telling you, we've got to have order and we've got to have unity. And people that are in positions of authority have got to be people of prayer. They've got to be people of the anointing and they've got to have some discernment about it. Because you've got to know what's going on. I'm going to tell you young ministers, if I could tell you one thing, I would tell you, learn how to pray. And become a man or a woman of prayer. I just met with some people, a young man that's, that's from Australia. He's actually going to come preach for us um, sometime in October. But he's, he's a younger man like Andrew. You guys remember Brother Andrew that came? Powerful man of God. Anyway, there was another young man there that was probably about 20 years old. Felt a call into ministry. And I told him, I said, you better learn how to pray. Listen to me. Everything else is secondary. You learn how to pray. You get alone with God. You learn how to pray and you get into the Word. And so I gave him some advice about that. Gave him some books on prayer and talked to him. I pray that he takes that advice. Because there's a lot of people out there that, that preach and they may really know the Bible, but they're not men and women of prayer, so they really don't know the Lord. Did y'all get that? You can know the Bible and still not really know the Lord very well. You need to know the Bible, but you also need to have a relationship, a living relationship with the Lord. What is He speaking to? What is He speaking to the church right now? What, you know, as a minister, how in the world am I supposed to minister if I don't even know what He's telling me to preach to you? Alright, so here's some stories. Um, my wife and I many years ago were involved and there was a movement to do this extended fast and there was going to be a uniting of the body of Christ. Now I'm talking about how Satan has attacked this area with witchcraft. Now we're talking about witchcraft. You've got to go back to last week's sermon. I'm not talking about witches per se. I'm talking about the disorder, the dysfunction, the um, division, the people being in authority that shouldn't be in authority. Okay, go back to what I talked about last week. All right. And so I remember I'd asked this particular woman, we were at that meeting with the Gulf Coast Revival, and I said, what do you think has hindered revival in Dallas over the years, since the 90s? And she said, I really believe it's the disorder and the division that's been there among leaders and all the church splits. Remember I told you about that. 
And I told her, I, I completely agree with you. That's the problem. But anyway, several years back, there was a movement to unite the body of Christ in prayer and fasting. It sounded really good. So, of course, I got involved. And as we were doing this, I began to see things that concerned me. It troubled me. Let me give you an example. There's a couple, one, one particular very young woman, probably about 23 maybe. She'd only been saved for a couple years at the most. She was a baby Christian. Really sweet girl, but just a baby Christian. And you had all these senior pastors, lead pastors that were involved in this. And she was put in a position of bossing all them around and telling them what to do. You remember that? And I remember feeling like something's not right with this whole thing. There needs to be somebody in authority that actually God put there. That has authority. Well, anyway, here's one reason. There were several reasons for this and several problems that came up. But here's one problem. Because she didn't have the maturity to handle a lot of things. There was... This was there was a college involved in this, and there was a particular little student, was probably 19 years old, that came into her and began to spread some gossip about some leaders. She listened to the gossip and began to try to oust these leaders. Now the Bible says to don't entertain accusations against elders without the testimony of two or three witnesses. And the last thing you need to do is listen to gossip from some little college student. He's probably got a chip on his shoulder. He's probably told no in one of their meetings or something. It's probably what happened. But anyway, she listened to him and began to oust some of the leaders and try to get rid of some of them. And it began because there was disorder. There was people in positions of authority that shouldn't have been. It led to division. Now, there's division in the camp. People are being ousted. People are being gossiped about the anointing now is begin, beginning to come down and down and down. And the Spirit of God is grieved because things are out of order and disunified. And it came out later that this individual should have never been listened to and it caused a lot of problems. Now there was an, this, this was one big long event and during this event, I actually faced something directly and I, was, I couldn't believe it. I'll tell you the story. How many knows there's a difference between submitting to godly authority and submitting to witchcraft control? When I ministered for Dr. Paul, some of you guys were there on that Friday night. I had a friend of mine, you guys, some of you know Donnelly. I had a friend of mine that was in charge of that event, but he works for Dr. Paul. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a senior pastor. And I called him. I said, listen, man, I said, I'm going to be there on Friday. And I want to be under authority. Dr. Paul's in charge. I'm just a guest. What do you want me to do? Am I supposed to preach? Am I supposed to lead worship? Am I supposed to lead prayer? Am I supposed to do all of it? You know, do I need to dress? Do you guys wear suits? What do you want me to do, man? And he was kind of surprised that I would be that forthcoming about it. And because I wanted to be under his authority. I didn't want to go in there and him expecting me to lead a prayer meeting and I'm preaching. I wanted to honor his authority. I went in there as a guest. I was submitting to his authority. Of course, he said, well, this is what we had in mind and just be led by the Spirit in it. I said, you got it. I'm there. I'll do it. And I went there and did what they wanted me to do. And it was it was a good night. It was powerful. Y'all were there. 
But that's that's honoring and submitting to authority. Now I'm going to give you the the opposite of that. <laughs> here's here's an interesting story. So this this uh, corporate thing had taken place, and at the end of it, they had some powerful speakers. And so one of them happened to be John Kilpatrick, who I really like his ministry. And I really felt led of the Lord that night. I really felt it. And when I tell this whole story, you're going to agree that this was God. I felt in my spirit that he was supposed to pray for me. And so this was several years ago. This was, this was a decade ago, to give you an idea. This was a long time ago. And I really felt like I was supposed to get prayer. And so at the end, he comes down and he's praying for people. Laying hands, falling out. They got the catchers. Power of God's moving. I'm standing, I go down, I'm standing there probably maybe 15 to 20 feet from him. He's praying for people. Well, one of the people, this young lady that was put in a position of authority that shouldn't have been, but she's standing there and she's basically, it's me and another pastor friend of mine who I went to Bible school with. I saw him there. We're standing here. We're ready to go get prayer. And she's standing in front of us. And she was very, very hateful. And she said, you're not going down to get prayer. And she was very controlling and very, very hateful about it. Her face was, she had a very ugly countenance toward us. And I remember thinking, what's the problem? He's, he's praying for people. Why are you telling us we can't get prayer? No, well, you're not. And we're going to bring all this into order. And she began to try to take total control of what was going on. Understand, now I'm not being disrespectful, but she's this little young lady that is simply employed by somebody that's talking that way to two senior pastors. Where's the respect? Okay, where's the honor that should be given? Anyway, so I just simply felt in my spirit this was not God authority, this is witchcraft control. But I said, I'm not going to have this woman try to like body slam me. So I said, here's what we're going to do. I just prayed to myself. I said, Lord, if you want me to get prayer, I'm just asking you to work it out. I just prayed it to myself like this. And this is a true story. And this is exactly how it happened. Y'all are going to think I'm exaggerating. I'm not. As soon as I prayed that prayer, she's standing right here. I just prayed it quietly to myself. As soon as I prayed, she turns and begins to go off on somebody else for no reason. And I thought, well, okay. And then I looked to my left where pastor was praying for people. This happened. I know y'all going to think I'm joking. This happened. She goes this way. I turn and look where pastor was praying. And people started parting to the right and the left. I'm not kidding. So I just start walking through the waters, man. That's not the whole story. This was a God appointment. This was supposed to happen. I'm telling you. I felt in my spirit I was supposed to get prayer that night. I walked all the way up. He's He's got his back turned praying for people. I walked right up to him. And right as I got to him, I never said a word. He turns around. The power of God hits him. He falls on top of me. I'm on the ground shaking under the power of God. And while I'm on the ground, the Holy Spirit says, I'm baptizing you into something tonight. But while I was about to get that touch from God, there was a witchcraft thing going on right here saying, you're not getting prayer tonight over my dead body. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference between God, authority, and witchcraft control. When people are put in positions of authority that God did not put them there, they have to resort to that ungodly control because they don't have authority from God. They don't have an anointing from God. Is this making sense? And I'm going to tell you, there was a prophecy associated with that whole movement 
about there being revival breaking out that never happened. I'm not saying it was false prophecy. But what I'm saying is this. All the disorder, people that were put in positions of authority that should not have been, and all the division that took place, it grieved the Holy Spirit. And what was supposed to happen did not happen. Are you seeing how witchcraft in the church type of thing I'm talking about has been hindering revival? Could it be, and I'm just asking, that if God can find a smaller number of people that will unify, like the people on Bonnie Bray Street with William Seymour and pray and go after him, and they'll be unified in purpose, and and they'll have their, their, their church in order, their spiritual home in order, that God can send like a Gideon victory. That literally breaks something open for a region. I'm just asking. What do you think? Do you think God's big enough to use a small group of people like He always has throughout history? You know, the great Welsh revival where so many hundreds of thousands of people got saved was Evan Roberts and a small youth group praying. That's how it started at Moriah Chapel. (coughs) And let me give you one more story. I'm not going to say who this is, but bless his heart. He's a dear friend. Y'all know him, so I'm not going to say anything. But he was a, he tried to put together this prayer meeting. And I think y'all were with me. And we had got the tower, man. I mean, we got, I don't know if you guys seen Dallas, the, the reunion tower. We managed to get the tower. We were up on the top. I mean, this was the coolest thing you can imagine. And all these people were invited from all these different churches. Now, here, here's where the problem came in. My dear friend that was somewhat over this was not the supreme authority here. He was, there were people over him. And the people over him put a man in authority that should not have been, bless his heart. This guy had major issues. And trust me, I'm talking about full of bitterness and hatefulness. Not a good choice to have in that position. He needed inner healing. Anyway, he's in that position. My friend's just having to sit back, shaking his head. All these people had come. It could have been an awesome night. But what happened was, it did not end up being an awesome night. We were supposed to have prayer for revival in Dallas, in the tower. I mean, it was going to be, it was going to be amazing. We we're in the tower, man. We could see, <laughs> we could see the car. We're, we're up here. We're closer to the Lord, you know. <laughs> It was going to be amazing. And all these people had come from all over. I mean, all these churches. But listen, I am not exaggerating. I have a witness. It was pandemonium. I mean, there was no order whatsoever. They, they were like, we're going to start praying. Some guy starts playing music on his guitar. And everybody scattered in different directions doing their own thing. You were there. She'll tell you. There was no order. There was no unity. I don't even think two people were agreeing. I think that everybody was doing their own thing. It just scattered. What would have happened if we all came into agreement? The Bible says if just two agree, God will do it. There was a bunch of us there. But I mean, everybody just scattered doing their own thing. And you know what happened? You could feel, at first, you could feel the anointing was there. And gradually, down, down, down down. It was dying. And I went over to my friend and I told him, man, you got to do something, man. This is going downhill bad. And he just looked at me and said, I know, but I'm not the one calling the shots. That guy was put in charge. 
And I was just shaking my head. And I'm going to tell you, by the end of the night, something that really could have been good amounted probably to nothing, honestly. I don't feel like anything good came from it. I felt the Holy Spirit was grieved. Once again, you had people in positions of authority that shouldn't have been, so it was disordered. And then you had division. You had people doing their own thing. They weren't coming together. It's witchcraft in the church. Alright, so let me close by just reading this, okay? And then we're going to pray for people tonight. How do you have true discernment from the Lord? Number one, it will not contradict Scripture. But that doesn't mean that it's bound in a way. For example, they didn't, they didn't pass out witnessing pamphlets in the book of Acts. So does that mean that we don't do that? I mean, you see what I'm saying? You can't live like in a legalistic way, but it doesn't contradict, it doesn't go against Scripture. Number two, the fruit of the Holy Spirit will be there. You need to learn the fruit of the Spirit. You need to look for the love, the joy, the peace, all of that. Where you see hatefulness, and you see strife, and you see disrespect and dishonor of authority, things like that, that's not of God. Amen? You'll also see, number three, Christ's fruit in their ministry. You'll see the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll see healings. You'll see deliverances. You'll see what Christ saw. Number four, does your spirit, your inner man, bear witness that it's of God? If the whole time you're sitting here with this red flag in you, you need to go pray about it because there's a possibility something's off. And the Holy Spirit's trying to poke at you going, hey, hey, no, this isn't me. Come on. You need to listen to that red flag. Y'all ever got that before? Number five, what does the Holy Spirit say? Go pray about it and ask Him. He'll speak to you. The next one, seek wise counsel. Notice I capitalize wise. Not all counsel is wise. But seek wise counsel. Because the Bible talks about in a multitude of counsel, there's wisdom. And if you have people that you know are people of prayer, people of the Spirit, and you can get a group there and you can discuss it amongst yourselves, a lot of time there's a lot of wisdom in that. But you need to be wise about who you put in there. Okay? The next one, listen to true prophets. These are people that really do hear from God. And when they speak, it's from God. Okay? Not everybody's that way. But if you know people that are like that, listen to what they feel the Holy Spirit speaking. And then the last one is this. God primarily leads us by an inner peace or an inner voice. But this is for those that have developed their relationship with the Holy Spirit. Very seldom are you going to see a lot of outward things. <clears throat> like as Christians, it's not wise to lay a fleece out like Gideon did. You know, I'm going to set the Coke bottle down by the bed and if it's half full of water in the morning then I'll know God that you're sending me and if it's not then I know you're not going I mean stuff like that God's very seldom I'm not saying he won't do but I'm saying very seldom is that ever going to be God Okay. but God will speak to you through the inner witness of the spirit that you feel peace about things or you feel you feel a lack of peace you can hear that inner voice speak to you but that comes from developing the inner man and developing your relationship with the lord you've got to develop your spiritual ears 
Some people are older in the Lord, but they still have spiritual baby ears. Okay? They don't hear very good. They haven't developed their inner spirit, their inner hearing. Here's how you need to guard yourself against spiritual attacks that may come. Don't let there be any idols that get in you. Idols are serious. You start letting something take a place in your heart that belongs to God. And next thing you know, there's like something blinding and deceiving and pulling you away from Jesus. Don't let there be any idol in you. Nothing that's worshipped, nothing prayed to, nothing trusted in. Nothing more important to you than Jesus. Okay? Keep your heart pure. Here's another way to guard yourself for spiritual warfare that may come down the road. Make sure you keep unity on your end. Don't be divisive. Don't gossip. Don't rebel. Don't get a bad attitude. Just be somebody that's going to, I have determined within myself, Lord, I'm going to keep unity. I'm going to stay under authority. If the people over me in the Lord says they don't feel good about it, I'm just going to submit to authority. And, and I'm going to be unified. Forgive quickly. Amen? Isn't that what Jesus wants us to do? Just forgive quickly. Don't go to bed with a grudge. If somebody ticks you off, forgive them immediately. When you leave, just forgive them and let it go and pray about it. And don't go to bed with that grudge. If there's any way to go to them and talk to them about it, do that. But that's not always possible. But just don't harbor it. Let it go. Pray about it. The next thing is remain humble. This is a big one. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. I would rather, as I've said many times, have all the demons chasing me at one time than have God oppose me. You want God on your side, don't you? You don't want God up there going, no, I'm going to oppose you today because you're proud. I'm going to set my hand against you. If God's opposing you, what can you possibly do to win? I mean, you're, you're in major trouble. But the Bible says God gives His grace to the humble. So as long as we humble ourselves, a humble person is teachable. A humble person can be corrected. A humble person will apologize when they make a mistake. And then, of course, stay under authority. That's important. See, there's the reason God puts authority out there, it's a protection. The husband is to be a spiritual covering to the family. The pastor and the elders are to be a covering to the church. When people rebel against authority, it's like there's this umbrella of protection and they're running out of that protection out here where the devil can pick them off like a sniper. And the Lord's saying, if you'll just come back under authority, you'll be protected from this stuff. The authority figures will be the one dealing with that. They'll be the ones binding that thing back. You'll be just totally protected under it. Don't speak curses over yourself. Hello? Amen? Some people are their own worst enemy. They'll curse themselves. I've had people, I talked to a lady, bless her heart, she got mad at me. But I talked to a lady on the phone, I was trying to help her. She was from Georgia, a lot of people call me from other places. And I was trying to help her. And from the time we started the conversation, she started speaking negative things over herself from the moment she opened her mouth till I interrupted her. She wouldn't stop. I mean, it was constant. I had to interrupt, interject, and go, listen, listen, you need to stop speaking that stuff over yourself. And finally, at the end of the day, I told her, I said, I really feel like some of the stuff you're dealing with is because you're speaking this. And she got mad at me. It's like, well, you're cursing yourself. I mean, from the time you start the conversation till you end it, there'll be an hour long cursing yourself. And then you're not doing well. 
You see what I'm saying? I mean, some people are their own worst enemy. They have their, their little pity parties. They, they believe the devil's lies. You know, they curse themselves. Don't speak anything over yourself that does not line up with the Word of God. You need to be speaking over yourself, I'm blessed of the Lord. I'm victorious over the enemy. My life is, is blessed and fruitful for the Lord. Okay, and the next one is don't pray controlling prayers. Don't pray things over people. That is your will. Make sure that you pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done. Be careful with the power of lust and hate. Those are two very powerful forces. Don't give in to any lust or any hate in your heart. Did y'all hear me? Those are very powerful forces. You need to die to those things daily. Do not give in to it. The next one, of course, I've been saying it a lot. Disorder. Don't have disorder, division, and don't go to bed angry. And the last one is get a holy environment in your life and your home. You want a healthy place to grow spiritually. You want the glory of God in your home. Did you know this presence that's so awesome here tonight? Did you know you can have this in your home? You really can. If nobody's ever told you that. Maybe you're a young person. You live at home with your parents and you know that your family isn't saved. And you know that they're not really living for the Lord. You can have it in your bedroom. I know you can. But what you got to do is in your home, you need to say, Lord, show me. Is there things in my home that grieve you? Because I don't want anything in my home that's going to grieve you. And the Lord may take you through the home and show you, is there witchcraft paraphernalia? Is there movies about witchcraft? Is there stuff that goes back to the dark arts? Is there things that are pornographic? Is there pornographic magazines? Are there things in your home that, that are, they may just be movies, they're not pornographic movies, but they're movies, but they're just full of horrible language and violence and nudity and, and garbage. Well, see, you understand when you're watching that stuff, that is being projected into your home. You understand what I'm saying? It would offend you if those people came into your home and were actually doing that stuff in your home, but yet you'll put it in and watch it you see what I'm saying? And, and you've got to understand that it grieves the Holy Spirit. And pretty soon you find that you go to bed and wake up the next day. And instead of the glory being in your home, there's, there's like a heaviness there. But people allow it in. They want to sit there and listen to their rap music talking about how they're going to rape this person. And they're going to shoot this cop. And they're going to do, you know, it's like, like God's in any of that. Okay? It, it's, it grieves the Holy Spirit. So ask the Lord, show me. It, what do I need to get rid of? And go through your home and clean out your home from anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit. If you were a woman that used to really dress real seductive and provocative, gather up that skimpy stuff, go to the trash can, get rid of it, okay? Clean house. If you've, if you've got alcohol, you've got drugs, maybe you've got a little stash of weed somewhere that grieves the Holy Spirit, that's sin. You need to go get it out of your underwear drawer, wherever you keep it, all right? You need to go go to the toilet, okay? <laughs> Drop it into the toilet, flush it, and give your life to the Lord in that area. Say, Lord, forgive me, I need to quit doing this stuff. Just give it all to Him, amen? Get rid of the junk and let the Lord come into your home and into your life. When you have a home like that, the glory will come. And, and there's a peace and there's a presence of God. And the enemy has a hard time trafficking in the home like that. Go through your home and anoint it and speak blessings throughout it and pray in your home. 
Alright, and the last thing I say to those called into the ministry, to pastors, to elders, to leaders, those that are going to be future leaders, do whatever you have to do to get your home and church in order. I mean that. Do whatever you got to do. If that means you got to get rid of some people out of the church, do whatever you got to do to get your home and your church in godly order. If there's people, if you come into a situation where there's people in authority that don't need to be, you're going to have to remove them. It may cost you some things, but you're going to have to put that home in order and put that church in order the way God wants it to be. Don't rush to let people in positions of authority. Pray about it hear from God. And don't overlook divisive people. If there's somebody that's a gossip, they're a troublemaker, they go through sowing division everywhere they go, they're like the... Uh, what was that little cartoon where that guy was the little devil that spun around? You remember the Tasmanian devil? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Everywhere they go, they're like the little Tasmanian devil. You see them, they go over in that group, and all of a sudden the chaos just breaks out in that group. Everybody's fighting, nobody can get along. And then they go over to this group, and chaos breaks out. You know what you need to do is get rid of the little Tasmanian devil. And then you'll notice peace will come. Here's another couple things. Take communion with your people and speak blessings like we did tonight. It's powerful. Make God's house a house of prayer and seek a move of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So earlier today, I closed. We're done. We're going to go ahead and shut down recordings now. But earlier when we took the Lord's Supper, remember, I just prayed together that the blood of Jesus...